digging in and pulling out the underlying principles that apply to our life today. So if you have your uh, program with you, reach in, pull out your message notes so that you can follow along with us today. Today we're going to talk about having a no-fear Christmas. Now the truth is, everybody deals with fears, right? I mean, fear is a common struggle. It's something that everybody deals with uh, around us. Uh, some people are afraid that if, if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me. That's a, a real fear that people deal with. Uh, there's a fear that there's the fear of insignificance. Is my life going to matter? Is my life going to make a difference? Is it going to matter that I'm here? That's a real fear that a lot of people have. Uh, there's the fear of dying alone. There's a fear that I have this secret and I'm afraid people are going to find out what it is. There's a fear that I'll never be truly loved or that I'll never love again. I think it's pretty significant that at the very first Christmas, four times we hear the phrase, do not be afraid. The angels said it to Mary. They said it to Joseph. They said it to the shepherds. And they said it to Zechariah. Four times in Christmas story. Do not be afraid. Now today, we know the birth of Jesus Christ as being good news because we know how it all turned out. But it didn't seem like good news for the people who heard it for the first time. In fact, everybody was scared to death. Maybe you didn't realize this, but when you look back on the Christmas story, everybody was afraid. Mary was afraid. Joseph was afraid. Herod was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Zechariah, everybody. The Bible tells us that the entire city of Jerusalem panicked when they found out that a Messiah had been born. Every one of the main characters had to deal with a different kind of fear. Now, what's interesting, as I reread the Christmas story this week, I was struck by the fact that you and I deal with the same five common fears that we see them dealing with in this very first Christmas story. Every single one of them. Those same five fears are still being dealt with today. In many ways, if you think about it, 2019 was a year of fear, right? I mean, it was in a lot of ways. It was a rough year. You look at the headlines from last year, and it seemed like every week there was a terrorism attack somewhere. There was sickness. There was mass shootings. There was racial tension. There was injustice. And for a lot of people, 2019 was a rough year. So for millions of people, this Christmas is not a merry Christmas. It's a scary Christmas. For millions of people, this is not a season of cheerfulness. It's a season of fearfulness. But the message of Christmas one of the main messages is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God's got you. God says it four times. I don't want you to fear. It's not God's will for you to be constantly walking around afraid of everything. So today what I want to do is I'm going to look at the Christmas story, and I want to talk about the fears that try to defeat you and hold you back and keep you from being everything that God created you to be. And then what I want to do is I want to go through the five common fears that everybody deals with, right? And then I want to ask you a very simple question. How do those apply to your life? How do you deal with those fears? And then I want to show you the secret of being fear-free based on what God told them to do that very first Christmas. You guys ready? All right, here we go. First thing, let's identify the five fears that they felt that first Christmas. And we'll start with Mary. If you're taking notes, write this down. Mary had to deal with the fear of inadequacy. The fear of inadequacy. You know the story. One day an angel appears to this young peasant girl. She's an Israeli. She's poor. Probably no education. And the angel says to her, Mary, 
God's going to keep his promise. He's been promising to come to earth for thousands and thousands of years. The Messiah, the chosen one, the Son of God is coming. And he's going to come as a baby. And by the way, you're going to be the mother. (laughs) That would create a feeling of inadequacy, wouldn't it? I mean, right off the bat. Now, there's a dozen reasons why she should probably fear being inadequate. First, she's a teenager. In those days, uh, young girls would get married as early as 12 years old. And most scholars who, who studied this story believe at the most she would have been maybe 15 or 16 at the latest, but probably younger. So she's a teenager. Second, she's unmarried. She's a virgin. She's never had relationships with a man. So there's that fear. Third, she's engaged to a guy named Joseph. And how in the world is she going to explain this to him? Fourth, she's told that a child that's coming is going to be the promised son of God. I mean, that would be pretty scary, right? You're going to give birth to God, right? Imagine raising the perfect child. (laughs) I know you can't imagine that, right? (laughs) And then fifth, how do you explain it to your parents? I mean, if you're a mother and your teenage daughter comes to you and says, Mom, (laughs) I've never had sex, but I'm pregnant, and God's the daddy, would you believe it? No, you're not believing that. (laughs) Not at all, right? So, you know, how do you explain all of this? Can you see why she might feel a little inadequate? The Bible says it like this in Luke 1. It says, confused and disturbed. That's a tough way to be. And you know something? That's a way that probably all of us can deal with, uh, you know, relate to. We've had those moments where we've been confused or disturbed. Confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. So the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now you might circle that in your message notes. That's the first of four times. He says, do not be afraid, Mary, for God has decided to bless and use you. And I'm sure she's thinking, I'm not so sure about all this. Right? You will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, and he will be the Son of God, and his kingdom will never end. Then Mary asked a very natural question, by the way. How can this be? How can this be? I mean, it was intimidating. There was a sense of inadequacy. Now, Joseph, her fiancé, he faced an entirely different fear. You might write this down. Joseph had to face the fear of disapproval. The fear of disapproval. Think about this. Imagine your, your fiancé comes to you. She tells you she's pregnant. You know you've never had sex with her. And then she claims, God made me pregnant, and the child is the son of God. <laughs> right. Right, right. And, you know, and how are you going to explain that to everybody? I mean, it's a small town. Everybody knows everybody's business in a small town. Right? And so gossip spreads quickly. How do you explain this to your family, your coworkers, your friends? Imagine the ridicule, the shame, the gossip, the criticism that Joseph had to face. And honestly, Joseph's first reaction to all of this was disbelief himself. He wasn't so sure how he felt about all this. And so he decides he's going to break the whole thing off. You know, I mean, I love you, but I'm not buying this story. And so he decided he was going to quickly break off the engagement. He wasn't going to embarrass her. He loved her. He didn't want there to be a scandal or anything like that. But he was going to end it right there because of the fear or disapproval of all the people. Here's what the Bible says, Matthew 1. Now, this is how Jesus Christ was born. 
His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, being a good and righteous dude, that's the word there in the Greek, (laughs) decided to break off the engagement. It is! (laughs) Maybe. Decided to break off the engagement quietly and so it would not disgrace Mary publicly. Like I said, he was a good guy. But after he had considered doing this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. There's a second one. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because the child in her is from God's Holy Spirit. So just like with Mary, God has to tell Joseph, do not be afraid. Let me ask you something really quickly. Whose disapproval are you uh, afraid of? Maybe let me ask it a different way. Whose approval are you living for? And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But the Bible says that the fear of disapproval is a trap. In other words, the, more, the minute I start worrying about what you think, and that's when things start falling apart on me right? I'm dead in the water. The moment you start worrying about what other people think about you, that's the moment that you start to stray off of what God's plan for you. See, God has a plan for your life, and so does everybody else. They do. And you've got to decide whether you're going to be a God pleaser or if you're going to be an everybody else pleaser, you know, a people pleaser. Joseph could have missed the greatest blessing of his life, being the stepdad to the Son of God, if he had worried about the disapproval of other people. It was a real fear he had to deal with. Then there was another group of people who I think are some of the coolest people on the planet. This is the shepherds, right? Write this down. The shepherds face the fear of sudden change. Sudden change. Here's the picture. The shepherds were out in the field, they were watching their flocks on the night that Jesus was born. And I've always felt, this is kind of my, con, my, my contention, I've always felt the shepherds were kind of like surfers, right? They're just these laid back, right, kind of chill. You know what I'm talking about? They're just, they're just like you know, easy going kind of thing. You know, it's not a super stressful job watching sheep. And so that night they'd kind of, you know, settled everybody down. The sheep were all kind of relaxing. These guys are sitting around the fireplace. They're probably swapping stories and, you know, hanging out and that sort of thing, just taking it easy. And then all of a sudden, the sky lights up. Now, remember, this is before electricity. (laughs) This is before electric lights or lasers or anything like that. And all of a sudden, the sky is lit up and is filled with a heavenly choir. That had to about just scared them to death. Now, come on. That had to be frightening. Talk about sudden change, right? The Bible says this in Luke 2. That night some shepherds were in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, (laughs) right? You might circle that word suddenly because we're talking about sudden change. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory flashed, boom, right? like an explosion, and surrounded them. And they were terribly frightened. Sure they were. So the angel said to them, what? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. afraid. It was all so sudden. It was so scary. But see, God didn't want to scare them. That's why God told them, do not be afraid. He was preparing them for something. He was doing something in their lives. Now there's another character in this story 
who had to deal with panic when Jesus' birth was announced. And his name was Herod. And Herod was the king. Uh, Herod's fear was he faced the fear of losing control. Herod was the king of the Jews. He was actually the king of Judea, which meant that he was actually kind of like half Jewish. And so he was despised by most of the Jews. And because of that, and we talked about this a little bit last week, he was so paranoid of conspiracy theories. And the history books tell us that Herod had his brother-in-law killed because of fear that he might try to overtake the throne. He had his mother killed. He had his wife assassinated. And he had his two sons assassinated. Talk about paranoid, right? So when he hears that the king of the Jews is being born, he freaks out. He freaks out. He doesn't want to lose his throne. So he orders, and this is known history, he orders the death of every baby in Israel under the age of two to try to prevent Jesus from being born. Think about how horrendous this is. Right? And so actually Mary and Joseph are warned in a dream. So they take Jesus to Egypt. And Jesus spends his early years in Egypt. And they don't return back to Nazareth until after Herod dies. Matthew chapter 2 tells the story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time that Herod was the king of the Jews. Then some wise men, these, were, these guys were most likely astronomers who were following the star, from the east came to Jerusalem and they started asking, where is the child born to be the king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this news, he was deeply frightened. As I said, it freaked him out. And disturbed. And by the way, because he was disturbed, so was everybody else in the kingdom, right? Everybody else in Jerusalem. You know, during Christmas, we sing the song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm. But it wasn't calm in Jerusalem. You know, it says the whole city got nervous because Herod was disturbed. And when Herod gets disturbed, people die. So Mary's afraid, and Joseph's afraid, the shepherds are afraid, Herod's afraid. The entire city of Jerusalem is afraid. Fear has swept everything. Finally, there was an old priest by the name of Zechariah who worked in the temple of Jerusalem, and his wife was named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary. So when Mary got pregnant, this unwed pregnancy, they they did what they used to do a lot in those days, is, is they shipped her off to another relative out of town so she wouldn't have to deal with the stigma and the gossip and all of that sort of stuff. So Mary goes to live with her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, and they were good people. They were quite a bit older, and they had prayed their entire life for a child. They'd wanted a child so bad, but the prayer had never been answered. And so finally they had given up hope. They had given up hope on ever having a child because they were way past childbearing years. They were afraid to hope because they'd been disappointed so many times. This is the fifth fear. Zechariah faced the fear of disappointment. The fear of being disappointed. And this is a real issue. One day, God shows up to Zechariah in the temple. He sends an angel, and the angel says, Hey, Zechariah, you know that prayer that you've been praying for all these years, you know, to have a baby? Yeah. Well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen now. You're going to have a baby. It's going to be a miracle boy later in life. Your wife is going to get pregnant. And Zechariah had been disappointed so many times, he didn't believe it. He just thought it was impossible. He didn't believe God. He doubted. You know what? I don't don't want to trust again. I don't want to get my hopes up. 
I don't want to believe again. I've been disappointed so many times. There's some of you that are here this morning. You've dealt with that same disappointment in your life. Maybe not even about this issue, but there's something you were dreaming about, something you were hoping for, something you were wanting, and that disappointment has been there, and you've been afraid to hope again. Luke chapter 1 says this, While serving in the temple, an angel appeared to Zechariah. When he saw the angel, he was confused and overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said to him, what do you think the angel said? (laughs) Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. So again, God in the Christmas story has to say, do not be afraid. Are you starting to get the idea that maybe God doesn't really want us walking around in fear? That he doesn't want us to be people who are afraid. He wants us to be a people who are confident because we're following after his plan and purpose for our lives. So five different fears on the very first Christmas. Five fears that we still see today. So here's my question. Which of these five fears are you dealing with in your life right now? Is it the fear of inadequacy? You know, am I good enough? Do I have the right stuff? Can I handle all that life throws at me? Am I up for the task? I mean, sometimes the fear becomes so big that you think, man, I'm not even going to try for my dream. I'm not even going to try it because I know it won't happen. I'm just going to give up. The fear of inadequacy. I can't handle it. I'm not as smart. I'm not as, I'm, I'm not as attractive. I'm not as educated. I'm not as wealthy as everybody else. There's this fear of inadequacy. Maybe you're struggling with a fear of disapproval. You're, you're afraid that you're going to be criticized. You're thin-skinned. You'd rather go along to get along. You hate the fear of rejection, so you've become a people-pleaser. and You're not living out the life that God intended for you. Instead, you're trying to please everybody else and get their approval. Here's the good news. I said this a couple of weeks ago, but you don't need it. You don't need anybody's approval to make you happy. I don't need your approval to be happy. Can you imagine what a relief that was for me? When I learned that lesson, happiness is a choice. You are as happy as you choose to be. Vince Lombardi, the great coach, former coach of the Packers, once said, fear makes cowards of all of us. It's true, it does. The fear of disapproval. Now, some of you, you have the fear of sudden change. You don't want things changing. You know, things, you've kind of learned how to deal with things the way they are right now, and you just want everything to stay the same. You want 2020 to kind of be like 2019. You know, I don't want anything to change in my life. I hate to tell you this, but it will. The only thing constant in life is change, right? If you get stressed out by change, you're going to be stressed out your entire life because everything changes day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You've got to learn how not to be fearful in a time of constant and rapid change. How about the fear of losing control? That's a big one. I don't want anybody messing with my plans, right? How do you know when you have the, the fear of losing control? Well, there's a warning light that goes off. God, God put a warning light inside of you that goes off and says danger every time you do it. And that warning light is called worry. Worry. Anybody familiar with worry? Anybody? A couple of you. Yeah, all right. And guess what? Worry doesn't change anything. Worry can't, worry can't control anything. It, it, worry can't change your past. It can't control the future. The only thing that worry does is mess up your today. How about the fear of being disappointed? Some of you thought, you know what, I'm not ever going to let another person get close to me because I don't want to get disappointed again. 
I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to have my heart broken. I don't want to go after that dream. I'm afraid to trust. I'm afraid to believe. I'm even afraid to believe in God. You know, I'm afraid to give my life to God because I might be disappointed. I'm afraid to hope again. Which of these fears have you been dealing with? Do any of these ring true in your life? And if they do, you really need the message of Christmas. And you picked the right Sunday to be here because today what I want to do is I want to show you the four solutions to a fear-free life. How do I get fear out of my life? You do the same thing that that God told them to do that that very first Christmas. And if you do what God told Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and the shepherds, man, the fears in your life will go dramatically down and your confidence and your joy in life will go significantly up. All right, you ready? Here we go, number one. First thing that you've got to do is surrender your life completely to God every day. Every day. Be able to just be honest. God, I'm full of fear and I'm struggling, but I'm giving you the good, the bad, and the ugly of my life right now, and you start your life that way. That's how Mary overcame her inadequacy. And when the angel unloaded all that stuff, you're going to be pregnant, you're not going to be married, you've never had sex, and it's going to be the Son of God, and you're going to raise him? Mary had this fear of inadequacies, but she overcame it with this statement, Luke 1.38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I am willing to accept whatever God wants for my life. Come on, somebody. And that's powerful. That's powerful. I surrender my life to God every day. I'm the Lord's servant. My Creator made me. My Creator knows what's best for me. My Creator knows what will make me happy more than I do because He created me. I am the Lord's servant, so I'm willing to do whatever He created me to do. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said that to God? God, you're my Creator, and whatever you want to do with my life, you can do it. Man, I want to cooperate with that. Have you done that? If you haven't, then you're living in this constant tension. And you're going to have fears. That's why you have anxieties, because you're fighting with God. And can I tell you something? You were not designed to fight with God. And a fight with God is not a fight that you're going to win, because He's God and you're not. You may think you are, but you're not. So it creates this fear in your life. What if God asked me to do something that I don't think I can do? Listen. God will never ask you to do something that he won't give you the power and the ability to do. God will never ask you to do something that he won't give you the resources, the time, and the energy to do, right? He'll give you everything you need. He just won't ask you to do something that he's not going to equip you to do. 21 years ago, I felt that God was telling me to leave the church that I was in as an associate pastor, and I felt God was telling me and to, to move, to, to Gulf Breeze and plant a church. And I'll never forget Vicky's response. Vicky's response, she basically said, well, it scares me to death, but I believe in God and I believe in you, so let's go for it. See, that's faith. That's putting faith over fear. And I've often wondered what would have happened if we hadn't have done that. If we had given into our fears and said, you know what, no, that's too scary, that's too hard. You know, we're inadequate. We, we might be disappointed. We might lose control. What if we had given in to all of our fears? How would history be different? Well, for one, you wouldn't be sitting here right now, right? It just wouldn't happen. This church wouldn't exist. 
and all the people who've given their life to Christ in this place, all the marriages that have been put back together, all the people that have broken free from addictions in their life, all the ministry that has happened in this place might not have happened. History would be very, very different if Vicki and I had given into our fears. And the truth was, we weren't adequate for the task, but God was adequate, right? And our confidence isn't in us. Our confidence is in Him. So you surrender your life to God every day. All right, here's the number two. Uh, number two, stop listening to the voices of fear. Stop listening to the voices. You've got to stop letting fearful things get into your mind. The truth is, we live in an extremely negative culture. Can I get an amen? I mean, we do. It's, right, it's a lot easier these days to be negative than it is to be positive. And the Internet just feeds on this. You've got all these negative voices around you all the time, and they're telling you, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not attractive enough, you know, you're not rich enough, you're not talented enough. You've got all of these negative voices that are hitting you from every direction. And sometimes, listen to this, sometimes those voices are inside of you. You know what? You've got to stop listening to yourself, right? Can I give you a little stress reliever this morning? You don't have to believe everything you tell yourself. <clears throat> you don't. You really don't. Because you know what? You lie to yourself all the time. You lie to yourself more than you lie to anybody else, right? You tell yourself sometimes that things are good when they're not so good. Or you tell yourself things are bad when they're really not all that bad. You need a more objective source of truth than your own opinion, right? Because your opinion could have came from a bad burrito you had last night. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? So you're not the final authority on truth, and neither am I. So we need an objective source because sometimes we get it wrong. We've got to stop listening to the voices of fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. I mean, when you're walking in faith, you're not walking in fear. And when you're walking in fear, you're not walking in faith. When you invite faith into the front door, fear goes out the back door. When you invite fear into the front door, faith goes out the back door. They can't exist together. All right? The Bible says this in Romans 14. Whatsoever is not based on faith is sin. Whatsoever is not based on faith. Let me tell you something I've learned. Fear is contagious. It is a communicable disease. If you hang around fearful people, you're going to become afraid. If you hang around depressed people, you're going to become depressed. You hang around angry people, you're going to get angry. You know, it's like that old tired cliche. If you want to soar with the eagles, then you can't run with the turkeys. <laughs> all right, so everybody take a breath because I'm going to say something that's going to shock about half of you. All right? Are you ready? I'm going to give you some advice. If you really want to eliminate fear in 2020, number one, turn off talk radio and negative TV shows. Just turn them off because they live on crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Because they live on crisis. Every day there's a new crisis because crisis sells. You know, there's, a, there's that, that, that a newspaper adage, if it bleeds, it leads, right? You know, so you want to just put the crisis. So they are constantly feeding the negative. Study after study after university study has shown that if you listen to inflammatory, negative, critical, fearful talk radio or TV shows, whether it's liberal or conservative, it doesn't really matter, right? 
That's the kind of person you're going to be. Negative, critical, fearful, defensive, antagonistic. And if you want to live like that, then you go right ahead and do it. But I'm going to tell you something. I want to live a life that's positive. I want to live a life that walks not in fear, not in anger, not in hatred. I want to walk in peace. Amen. I want the Prince of Peace in my life. I don't want to be a fear-filled person. The other thing I would suggest that you do is start hanging out with people of faith. Get some new friends. Get around people of faith who have a more positive outlook on their life rather than a negative outlook on life. That's one of the reasons why we want you involved in a small group. In January, late January, we're going to be starting a whole new season of small groups. And that's how you connect. That's how you make friendships. That's how you get together with other people. It's how you get past just the Sunday mornings of, of, you know, hi, how are you? Okay, see you later, bye, type thing. It's where you can actually build real, true friendships. You need to be a part of a small group. Think about all of the negative and fearful voices that Mary had to block out of her mind in order to hear God. Think about all the people who came up to Mary and said, so you're pregnant, huh? Yeah. You never had a relationship with a man? No. And God is the father? Yes. And the baby's going to be the son of God? Yeah. Who do you think you are? Right? That would create all kinds of anxiety and fear and insecurity. One of the things that I have learned about Jesus is that Jesus gave dignity to women in a culture that diminished, dismissed, degraded, and devalued women. He raised them up and gave them great dignity when nobody else in that culture did. Come on, somebody give me an amen. Right? Mary had to block out the voices of fear around her in order to hear the voice of God. Two more keys. Two more keys to dealing with fear. Third thing you need to do, fill my mind with music that praises God. Now let me explain why that's an antidote to fear. And I want you to listen very closely. Because praise is the antidote to panic. Worship is the antidote to worry. Why? Because when you're scared to death, all your attention is focusing on you, how you feel, how you look, how competent you are. You are totally focused on yourself. And to get rid of fear, what you've got to do is you've got to take the focus off yourself and you've got to put it on someone else, right? You've got to put it on God. And when you turn your focus on God, that's called praise. That's called worship. Worship is just focusing on God. And when you're focusing on how big God is, it shrinks your problems. So the closer I get to God, the more confident I'm going to be in my life. The farther I get away from God, the the more scared, the more frightened, the more insecure, the more worried I'm going to be. Why? Because you lose your fear when God is near. You lose your fear. That's why we want you to experience the presence of God. That's why we want you to be able to walk in the presence of God. So when you focus your mind on God in worship, it shrinks the size of your problem and it enlarges the size of God. That's why Scripture tells you over and over again, magnify the Lord. Because when He gets bigger, your problems get smaller. And it gives you comfort and it gives you courage. Do you know what Mary did when she was so frightened because of what was happening in her life? She actually wrote a song and sang it. And that song called the Magnificat is actually in the Bible. Part of it's there in your outline. Luke chapter 1, this is how she dealt with her fears. Then Mary sang, with all my heart I praise the Lord. 
I rejoice in God my Savior, for he notices and cares for me, a simple servant girl. She's saying, you know what, I know everybody thinks that God doesn't pay attention to, to just everybody, but she said, he saw me, and I was a nobody, and he saw me, and he's blessed me, and he is the mighty one. The bigger God gets, the smaller your problems get. He's the mighty one who's holy. He is all-powerful. He can do all things. He can meet our needs, and he keeps his promises. Yeah. yeah. Man, it's no accident that, that Christmas is the most musical of all the holidays. I mean, think about it. There is more music. There's thousands and thousands of Christmas songs, more than any other holiday. Why? Because at Christmas, everybody sang. Mary sang to get rid of her fears. Elizabeth sang. The angels sang. The shepherds sang. Even Zechariah sang. It's in the Bible. There's the, the scripture references if you want to write them down. See, I highly recommend you do that. You start listening to music that builds you up and doesn't tear you down, that focuses on the solutions and not the problems in life. Amen? All right, here's the last one. Fourth way to defeat your fears, base my hope on the promises of God. Base my hope on the promises of God. Let me ask you a question. What do you put your hope in? When you look at your life, what do you put your hope in? All right? What gives you hope for any year? See, I don't put my hope in myself. I don't put my hope in the economy. I certainly don't put my hope in any politician or in political correctness or conventional wisdom or public opinion or cultural values. I put my hope in what God has promised in his word. That's where I put my hope. That's a place to say an amen. Amen, pastor. That's right. That's good right there. You preach it, boy. <laughs> Did you know in the Bible that there are several, I think, I think somewhere close to 7,000 promises in the Bible from God to you? Here's my question. Do you know any of them? Do you know those promises? It would be silly to go through life knowing that God has made some promises, but you don't know what they are. And if that's you, you're going to be filled with anxiety. In the Bible, there's promises from God for you about your finances. Did you know that? There's promises about your health, about relationships, about your career, about your past, your present, your future, about forgiveness of sins, about eternal life. They're all there. But if you don't know them, you can't claim them. They're like unopened gifts. They're like somebody writing you a million-dollar check, and you just don't cash it. The fourth key to overcoming fear in your life is stop listening to the things around you and start focusing on what God has promised. That's what gave Mary confidence. In Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth said to Mary, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. That's what gave her this enormous confidence in an incredibly fearful situation. She believed that God would be faithful to his word and to his promises. And when you start doing that, you're going to be blessed. You want to walk in blessings in your life? Believe the word of God and let it be a part of your life. It changes your life. Guys, I want you to be blessed. Look at me. I want you to hear this. I want you to be blessed. I want you to be fearless. Psalm 56, David says this, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in God. And when I trust in God, I am not afraid. I praise him for what he has promised. There it is. 
And I praise him for what he has promised. Like I said, there's 7,000 promises from God to you in the Bible. You know, And if you've gone through life without knowing these promises, you're going to walk in worry. You're going to walk in fear. Now, I don't have time to go through all these 7,000 promises, but I want to give you this one today. I'll only go through about four or 5,000. Right? Now, see, Jesus promised to forgive you of your past, completely forgive you of your past. He promised to give you a, a purpose for living today, and he gave you the promise of heaven forever. But that's not all. Why don't you take a look at this last verse, Hebrews 2.15. Would you read this with me this morning? Here we go. Jesus came to die for us so he could free us from living all our lives as slaves to the fear of death. See, that's the universal fear because we're all going to die someday. And I, I, I looked up the statistics this morning just to be sure. The rate of mortality is still 100%. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. I mean, it would be crazy to try to go through life and not be prepared for what you know is inevitable. Right? Man, everybody's going to die. Are you ready to die? If you're not, man, that's denial. Right? I believe you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. Do you know what's going to happen after you die? Have you believed so that you might have eternal life? That's the whole purpose of Christmas. It's why we celebrate. The very last line of the famous Christmas carol, a little town of Bethlehem, says this, The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee, you, Lord, tonight. I want to close with this. I want to close with what I call a, a no-fear prayer. If you've ever had anxiety or worry in your life, I highly recommend you pray this prayer with me. Bow your heads. Just pray this with me. You can kind of pray along. If you want to, you can just say, me too. Lord, I mean it too. That's me. He'll hear you. He'll understand. Here's the prayer. Dear God, I don't want to be fearful. I want my life to be full of faith, not fear. And I admit that I've struggled with some of these fears. Inadequacy. The fear of disapproval. The fear of change fear of losing control, the fear of being disappointed. I've been afraid to believe. I've been afraid to trust. I've been afraid to hope. I've been afraid of you. And yet you say, don't be afraid. So starting today, I want to surrender my life completely to you. Some of you, you might be praying that for the very first time today. I want to surrender my life completely to you every day. You're God, and I'm not. I want what you want for my life. You know what will make me happy more than I do. Help me to stop listening to the voices of fear. Help me to hang out with people of faith. Help me to fill my mind with music that gets the focus off me and on to you. And help me to, to base my hope not on some flimsy idea, but on the rock-solid promises that you give me in your word. Lord, you said that if I believe in your Son, that I will not perish and I'll have eternal life. I want that right now. So Lord Jesus, as much as I know how, 
I open up my life to you. I want to get to know you. I want to know your purpose for my life. I humbly ask this in your name and keep your heads bowed for just a minute. Now, if you're here and you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you prayed and you asked Jesus to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life, and you've yielded your life to him during this time, if that's you, man, I want to pray for you. Would you do me a favor really quickly? If you just prayed that prayer for the first time in you minute, would you just make eye contact with me wherever you are? Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? Just looking around. Don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Thanks. I want to just lead you in a quick prayer. Just pray this with me. Just say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, I thank you for every person that just prayed that prayer today. We bless them and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 Can we give God a hand? Now let me just say, if you prayed that prayer with me for the first time and you meant it, there's a couple of things I want you to do. Is one, is take one of those blue cards in the chair in front of you and let us know. You can just drop it off at the, at the uh, welcome desk. And if you do and you tell them that's what you're doing, they've got a book for you called Now What? We'd love to put that in your hands. It's kind of like a here's some good next steps that you can take kind of thing. And we'd love for you to do that. So here's my prayer for you this week. I'm praying that you'll enter into the Christmas season, and not just the Christmas season, this new year, 2020, with a new sense of confidence, a new sense of joy, a new sense of purpose. I I believe, as corny as it sounds, all the allusions to 2020 and vision, but I believe 2020 is going to be a year of clarity for a lot of people. You're going to start to see what God is is getting ready to do. You're going you're gonna to feel and experience your purpose like no other time on this planet. I just believe that's going to happen. And to do that, you've got to be able to walk in confidence. And that confidence isn't going to come from yourself. It's not going to come from around you. It's going to come from God. It's going to come from His Word. And I pray that you'll be a person of the Word more than ever before as we move into this season. I pray that you'll take some time this week just to read through the Christmas story. Remind yourself of what God did and what God promises and what he's going to do in our life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, a couple of quick things. Next week, Christmas at Coast continues, and I'm going to be talking about Christmas time with the emphasis on the word time. It's going to be an interesting message. I'm really looking forward uh, to sharing it. Next week will also be our, how many years? Eighth? Eighth annual? Eighth annual Ugly Christmas Sweater Contest. If you've ever been, how many of you have ever been here for a Christmas, ugly Christmas sweater? It gets ugly. (laughs) I mean, it really does get ugly. People go all out. So I want to just give you plenty of time. You've got the week. Get your, get your best Christmas ugly sweater game on. It's going to be fun. We're going to have an incredible prize worth at least, you know, five or ten bucks. That's going to be there for you. And so you'll get to take home that designation as ugly Christmas sweater winner 2019. And you want that, right? Um, 
Men's Fight Club. Where's my men at? Yeah, Men's Fight Club this Saturday, 9 a.m. at the Bistro 98 restaurant. We'd love for you to come. If you've never come, come. Guys, it's, it's just a time for us to get together. We have breakfast. There's like a quick little word, and, and, and then we eat together, and we just have a good time and talk. Man, men need to have great relationships with other godly men, and this is a great opportunity for you. Come and be a part of that next Saturday, 9 a.m., Bistro 98 Restaurant. And then finally, Christmas Eve Candlelight Communion is coming. Now, this is probably one of my favorite services of the year. And I just want to take a second and talk about it for just a second because I really think this is important. This is a great outreach to our community. We're doing this not just for ourselves, but we're doing it for our community. It's a beautiful service. It's about 30 minutes long. We're doing two of them, one at 5 p.m. and one at 11.30 p.m. In your program, right, you got two outreach cards. If you need more, there's more at the welcome desk. But I want you to use those two cards and invite somebody to come next week. Tell them, ask them which service they'll come to and then come with them. Tell them, hey, you can come, you can sit with me. It's going to be great. I'd love to pack out both of these services. So that's going to be coming up. And then one final thing about that. One of the things that we ask, for those of you that are Coast family, uh, if, if you've been coming to Coast, if you've been through our growth track, if you're a part of the, the, the fellowship here, I want to ask you to consider maybe coming one service and serving a service because we need people, especially uh, we need people in the first impressions place of just meeting people at the door, greeting people, just putting a smile on your face, opening the door for people as they come in, telling them Merry Christmas. We just need somebody that's there to help uh, bring out the joy. So if you would, there's a guy in the very back with a plaid shirt and a Christmas hat on. If you'll see him or if you'll go to the welcome station and sign up, there's a sign-up sheet. But how many of you can help us? You're not scheduled now, but you can help us on Christmas Eve. Can I see your hands? Come on, man. Look at all those hands, Mark. All right, Mark's got you all memorized. He's, he's focused in. All right? So, but that still doesn't mean you don't have to sign up. Go sign up. All right? And we really appreciate it. But invite people. Invite two people. All right, I want to pray a prayer, a prayer of blessing as you go. One of my favorite things I get to do as pastor, and I really take it seriously, that, that I want to bless you as you go into this week. Because I think the church is at its best when it leaves the building, right? When ministry doesn't just happen on Sunday mornings, but it happens in our community during the week. So raise your hands with me. Father, thank you for every person that's here. I pray that you bless them today in all that they do, that you would pour your spirit out upon them. Give them wisdom in all that they do, that they would walk in wisdom according to your word. Let your anointing be on their life. And Father, I pray that you would give them favor in the eyes of people that they come in contact with. And Lord, I pray that you would give them divine opportunities this week to invite somebody to come to our Christmas services and Christmas Sunday or, or Christmas Eve. And Father, that you would give them divine opportunities to tell other people the story of what you've done in their life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great, great week.